And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. John Vance. John, it's nice to have you here. Oh, I'm happy to be here, Dan. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. Our listeners may not realize that you were the former senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church. And what are you doing nowadays? Well, these days, I'm, uh, uh, my wife and I are living uh, in uh, Pokeway. Most people don't know where that is. Pokeway. Pokeway. It's over toward the Connecticut border. Oh, yes. And uh, I have been filling pulpits, doing some lecturing, and uh, have a writing project or two that I'm doing. Mm. Well, our lives have been very enriched by knowing you and and being under your ministry for so many years. And um, you said that you could come to the studio today, and I'm just delighted on the agenda for us today is just... uh, Kind of uh, several questions, uh, your perspectives uh, as a senior pastor on uh, several um, areas. And one area that comes to my mind immediately is busyness. Um, we, we often wear ourselves out, it seems, um, getting overly busy. And sometimes our technology doesn't really help. How many times has it been you're in the middle of doing something, perhaps mundane, but you're on a schedule, and the cell phone rings, and <laughs> um, maybe someone is texting you, and you, you feel like you're pulled in 10 different directions. How do you deal with busyness? I will say that technology has not helped in the area of busyness. It's probably complicated it. Take, for instance, you're sitting at a restaurant even, maybe an outside uh, restaurant, you're sitting outside in the summer and uh, uh, you're talking to friends and having a good meal together and you thought you were going to relax and then somebody gets a call or you get a call. Yeah. The first thing you know, you're taken out of that setting and you're talking to somebody somewhere else. So you have the problem with modern technology of being here and being there at the same time. And that is uh, a distraction. The words of Scripture, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I think in some ways we have become the slaves of technology. We we have to be careful. Uh, We are meant to enjoy life, and we are meant to concentrate on the good things of life. And uh, God has created all things for his own glory and our good. Mm -hmm. And if we're not careful, we will, if you will, uh, miss the whole thing and the beauty of life. There's, mm-hmm. there's a wonderful beauty about life. And busyness simply is a distraction. Now, there be other kinds of busyness, too. I think sometimes particularly ministers schedule themselves uh, too much to do too many things in a health profession like the ministry when you're doing lots of counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do need some time and space where you can have some fellowship and be free for some things. So, in your ministry, for instance, you are uh, terribly drawn and pulled uh, in many different directions. I know from uh, being on the board, mm. understanding something of, True. of your of your schedule. Mm. I guess the Lord anticipates how worn out we can get working for Him in in this world of ours, and He talks about one day in seven. I'm just fascinated by the idea of a, of a rest day and myself I implement it very imperfectly but when I am able to separate out a little bit of time certainly for worship with God's people it is very refreshing well 
there could be uh, uh, no uh, topic more close to my heart than uh, the worship on the Lord's Day. Uh, some people understand the one day in seven as a Sabbath, and in the Old Testament certainly it was. I think since the New Testament and the resurrection, a better way to look at it is the the Lord's Day. Mm, the Lord's Day. On when the Lord's people gather together and they worship and they celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, they hear the Word of God read and preached. Uh, and the fellowship, mm. how important it is. So that's relaxation. That's being rooted. Yes. In fact, there were one or two couples just this in the past two or three weeks ago, um, after church, they're younger couples at Westminster, and they just didn't want the worship to stop. You know, they just were just feasting upon the Word of God and the fellowship with His people and Sunday school, and it was just so rich. And I heard afterwards they just didn't want it to stop. <laughs> well, the world beats you up so much, as you well know, out in the world. A lot of you have to go to work. Some many are commuting in this area. People have to commute long distances. Oh, yeah. Many do. And it's just a precious time. One fellow that I know who is an elder in a church who commutes to the city and back uh, for many years told me that he looked forward to Sunday apart from everything else. It was what filled his uh, heart, so to speak. That's right. Or uh, he was restored. And yeah. that's that's what the Lord meant, I think, like in one instance. It's like balm for the soul, and it, sure, and it reinvigorates you, so you can work even harder in the in the coming new week. Well, let's talk about worship. Um, sometimes people use the word rather loosely, and uh, they'll say, oh, "I I really enjoyed the worship part of our service." And I'm thinking, well, isn't the whole service worship? You know what? Are, and I guess they meant the singing type part. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting um, about the way we view services. Uh, of course, I am of the school that the entire service is a worship service. And if we view it that way, it's actually a kind of work that we perform. Mm. Uh, and it is a duty as well as a privilege. And so we are called together to forsake not ourselves together, as the manner of some is, says the writer of Hebrews. And so the whole service is worship. You hear the word of God, you hear it read, you sing the word of God, you sing praises to God. You may engage in ancient liturgies, like I'm used to, the Sursum Corda, mm -hmm. or some sayings, uh, and you do things together. You may say the Lord's Prayer together. That's a liturgy. It is. Yeah. And 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 that is entire service is a service of worship, and it is to glorify God. It also lifts us up, but it's mainly a joining in, if you will, of all the saints through all the ages, even though they're not here with us, but it's that great cloud of witness that whereby we ascribe that glory mm. that's due God's name. I think, you know, also... When you get into a really tough situation, maybe a, almost a tragedy-type situation, your mind sometimes is clouded over with the immediacy of the moment, and you can't remember too much. But if you have the Lord's Prayer, where you've been reciting that faithfully in worship, uh, it will come to you at that important time, or, or maybe Psalm 23, or, or maybe, like you mentioned, the Sursum Corda, or 
perhaps the the catechism questions, and Mm -hmm. they can be of great comfort and help you stay stable during that most terrible time of your life. And in worship, you're joining with other people. It's it's also an act of worship, but it's also an act of fellowship together, Mm. how it draws us together in Christ. Worship is to be private, of course, as well, but also public and corporate. And we shortchange ourselves if we do not engage in both. Mm. Uh, I had a preacher one time to tell me that he could always tell who was a praying person because if they called upon them to pray, they usually, if they were praying in private, they could pray in public. They may not be perfect, but they could do it. That's a good point. And there is a relationship between what we do as families and individuals and also in the corporate worship. And it's restorative and it brings glory to God. After all, that's what we're created for. Mm. And so in worship, we're fulfilling what we are created for together as human beings in Christ. A part of worship, I've seen you perform a number of baptisms, and our our current pastor, uh, Dr. Kevin Sherritt, performed a baptism the other day. And um, perspectives on baptism, uh, I, I seem to recall that you've mentioned it before that it it um, it separates us from the world. We can look back on our baptism. About pastoral perspectives on baptism. Well, all of the the preaching, the the, the singing, and so forth, part of worship. But also, so are the sacraments. Mm. Uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper are sacraments. That means God pledges Himself to us through these visible words and confirms His word in us. Baptism is important because it is the sacrament of initiation to be performed only one time mm-hmm. because Jesus could only die one time and it it reflects his death, burial, and resurrection. And truly, you could only come to know Christ through regeneration one time. So what baptism symbolizes is non-repeatable. Therefore, we don't repeat baptism. On the other hand, I love what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about baptism. It's It's in one of the questions. And it says this, that baptism puts a difference between us and the world. Mm. It's it's God's mark upon us. Now, he sees it, and we know it. So there's a mark. Yeah. And there is a mark, invisible, if you will. And we should take that seriously. It's, 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 if you will, bearing the banner of the divine approval upon our lives. Mm. And God's saying, in that sign, you are mine, and you belong to me. So baptism is a very important thing. It's commanded in Scripture. It's not a choice. Uh, It's something that is commanded that we are to do until Jesus comes again. And so it's a privilege to baptize, to Mm -hmm. see people visibly incorporated into the body of Christ. Baptism. As you were talking, I was thinking about in other countries where Islam is present, um, there can be severe penalties for a person converting to Christ and and becoming baptized. Um, they may have to pay with their life. In uh, certain countries, Sharia countries, if uh, a so-called Muslim uh, uh, leaves Islam and becomes baptized as a Christian, mm-hmm. it's considered such a crime that the the HUD laws, HUD laws uh, say that the, the penalty for that is death. And so it's considered a betrayal of the country, a betrayal of the society. Hmm. So anyone who receives baptism as a Muslim uh, 
has betrayed their people and they are subject to the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's a serious thing. And baptism in these countries means something. It may not mean much in our country where there's no penalty, but I'll tell you, it means something there. I'm glad you brought that out. What about the Lord's Supper? Um, this is different than baptism. Baptism is a one-time thing. Lord's Supper... It's the repeatable sacrament. That is, we serve the Lord's Supper. It's called communion or the Eucharist. Uh, in Scripture, it's called all three. Yeah, the, the, It's called the Eucharist. Paul uses that word. It's called the, the Lord's Supper, and it's called communion. And it is the, if you will, the heart in some ways of worship, uh, along with preaching. It is a sacrament that God pledges himself to us, and it's a communal meal that we share together. Jesus, of course, instituted it. It's dominical, meaning that he established it, mm. and he had the supper with his disciples. And so that very important sacrament is to be repeated uh, over and over and over again, showing that we have fellowship with Jesus mm-hmm. and he with us. I don't want to wander into an area where I am not prepared to talk about, but how is um, Christ present uh, at the supper? I, I know that he is. I know that it's like we're lifted up into the heavenlies where we partake in a spiritual way uh, of his body and blood. And um, I think my, my conviction is that real grace is administered to the Christian. It's not just a mere memorial. It, can you help me flesh that out a little bit more? Well, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper or communion encompasses many dimensions. First of all, it's, it is, uh, has to do with the past. We remember, we remember, but it also has to do with the future until Jesus comes. But it is a true communion. Something is happening in the present. We truly commune with Christ and his benefits under the elements of bread and wine. Mm. Now, theologians and different denominations argue how Christ is present. The Baptists, it may be only that he's present by memory. Mm-hmm. For the Roman Catholic, of course, it's his transubstantiation. He's present there because he becomes the body and blood of Christ. Usually in the Protestant tradition in the middle, uh, where uh, uh, we are, it's a true communion with the body and blood of Christ, but it's eaten in a heavenly manner. Mm-hmm. I mentioned a Sursum Corda. It was used in the early church to introduce the Lord's Supper. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. That was a connection. And in some ways, as John Calvin says, we are lifted up by the Spirit to feast at the table and to feast upon the Christ and his benefits. Now, that's not scientific. We can't do this or that. This is a sacrament. This is the work of God's Holy Spirit. And so I believe fully that when you come to the Lord's table, uh, Christ and all of his benefits are renewed in you through faith, and you truly benefit and, and feast upon Christ. We probably do ourselves a great injustice when we measure everything according to, is it scientific? Life is more than that. Science can only explain the material. Yeah. It cannot touch or explain anything with respect to those mysteries that God has revealed in Christ. And one of them is, of course, the Lord's Supper. Reminds me of the scriptures that tell us about when a person passes on, um, that it's good to go to the house of mourning because there 
uh, the living will observe and apply it to their heart because there is a there is a reality there. Uh, they have passed into this other realm I don't know much about, but it's real. And, and, and I better be preparing my soul for such a transition and loving God now um, in anticipation of seeing him someday in the future. Well, a few uh, a few weeks ago was uh, what they call Earth Day. Mm. Earth Day. Mm-hmm. Um, help us understand. We've got maybe um, nine minutes left to our discussion today. Um, as a Christian, we enjoy this earth. We enjoy creation. How do we keep all that in balance and not go overboard? Or how does God want us to treat His His world? Of course. Being in the image of God, we are the apex, if you will, of God's creation. Human beings are creating God's image. No other creature is. He also made us stewards over all that he has made. It's it's for his glory, and it's for our good, and we are to enjoy it, and we are to take care of it. To abuse it uh, would be a sin. Uh, we are to tend it and care for all that God has made. That's just simply being good stewards, like mm-hmm. we tend and take care of our children. Whatever God puts us in charge of, we are to do our best for his glory and for the good. And if you love God's creation, you want its good. Unfortunately, we have entered into a time, though, when people have began, if you will, in this area to worship the creature more than the creator. And uh, I, I don't know whether... We have dipped into Eastern philosophies at this area or not in this area, but environmentalism has become a kind of church in which they are worshiping the creation, and they substituted the creation for the creator, and it it is harmful. That's the feel I'm getting. Yes, there's a worship element going on here, and it's not a there good is. worship. And and they're putting the mm. that above human beings. Uh, there are many environmentalists who believe that the greatest evil on the face of the earth is too many people. Yeah, that's right. I've heard that, too. Uh, Number one, uh, we can't sustain ourselves in the future, so therefore you ought to have fewer and fewer children. Uh, They don't mind abortion because that helps the problem. Mm -hmm. They don't don't mind, uh, I think, some of these genocides. Uh, I hate to say that. They won't come out and say that, but I, I can't understand why they're putting up with the cultural of death in the way they do in the human realm, and at the same time, they will run to uh, a tree and hug it mm-hmm. uh, if, if someone is going to remove it uh, to build a home. Mm. I, I The priorities are all wrong, and there's something very, very profoundly wrong with the environmentalist movement in its extreme. I'm glad to hear you mention children, too. Um, one of the great blessings in life is that of having children. Not everybody is able to have children, and some are called to a life of singleness, but for those who are married and and desire children, it can be a a wonderful blessing for a husband and wife to be given the privilege of a child. How are we to look at children as Christian parents? That is a very uh, good and important question. How do you look at your children? Yeah. Well, in our tradition, and there are different traditions, of course, in in the Christian faith, but uh, we have a sign, we baptize children, and therefore 
we, we baptize them in view of the fact that God says, I will be a God to you and to your children. So I view my children as part of the covenant of God, and I'm to train them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and he will fulfill his word and purpose in their lives. I look at them as uh, uh, the children of God. That's right. Through the covenant. Yeah. And, um, and uh, that they will come to know him because that's God's promise. But even those uh, traditions that don't baptize children, every one uh, family that I've ever met, parents, they do look upon their children as oh, gifts sure. from God. It's so true. So it's the same thing in a real sense, and they train them in the ways of the Lord and take them to Sunday school, good Christian parents. And so I think we are to look at our children as part of us. Yeah. And and we don't just turn them to the, to the uh, bear, uh, if you will, or the beast. And let the world raise them. We 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 nurture them in Christ so that they embrace Christ. There may be some thinking that says, um, "Oh, this child has uh, his own will, and we shouldn't form it." You know, and, and yet, if we don't form it, someone will. Children are to be formed, and yeah, I, I've I've heard some people say in only in an academic setting that you ought to let a child. Uh, grow up and decide for themselves whether they want to follow what yeah, you are. That sentiment, right? That thinking is um, on its face uh, a foolishness. Mm. Uh, children uh, have to be bent and trained. That's the way nature and God ordained it mm. uh, through nature. They they are to be nurtured as human beings. What was interesting about children is they grow up slower than other animals. You ever see on the African plain, it's a good point. A, a, a little animal is born. The first thing you know, in four or five hours, it's running with the herd. That's a good point. It's instinct. But children are to be taught, trained, uh, taught music, uh, taught to love. Yes. Amen. How much more to be teaching them about Christ? It's a, it's a tender age and it's to be, formed, lovingly formed by a Christian parent. I see we're almost out of time. I'm thinking maybe a, a listener may have a question that, or a topic that uh, we didn't think of today. Uh, today, joining me in the studio is Dr. John Vance, uh, the former senior pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church. He's now doing writing and filling pulpits, and you're keeping quite busy. And um, if a person does have a question, we just encourage you to use our email address for your question. That address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. And also a reminder that this broadcast is up on our website. Check it out. We're found at redeemerbroadcasting.org. It's stored there under the drop-down programming, a plain answer podcasts. And um, any last final parting advice from uh, Pastor Vance? Well, all of these uh, topics are kind of a potpourri of topics. Uh, we could have done many. But the the thing that binds uh, these together, uh, whether it is leisure, worship, uh, looking at our baptism, our children, uh, all of these things are tied together, of course, in the fact that we have been uh, through the grace of God, redeemed in Jesus Christ. And what I noticed is that Christians do have a worldview that many do not. Mm. Uh, often we talk about worldviews, but Christians actually have a worldview. We view things from a certain perspective. 
Hmm. And that perspective, of course, is through faith in Christ. And it's amazing how all of these things we can do to the glory of God, our leisure, our worship. We can look at our children and the rearing of them in, in the name of Christ. What a privilege it is. It is. And um, to look out and see how what a wonderful life God has given to us in Christ. We are part of his creation and to his praise. Well, praise the Lord. Well, thank you, Dr. John Vance, for joining us in the studio today. And dear listener, a quick reminder, please join us next week at this same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. the king.